you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine, and I'm joined today by... Brendan Sinclair. And Hayden Taylor. It has been... Oh, I, I felt like it was a week of news. Hayden might disagree. Um, <laughs> but we can start with the big one, uh, which is that... This, this is yesterday for us uh, on Thursday of last week, I guess, by the time you're listening to this. Um, there On the same day, Sony announced that The Last of Us Part 2 was being delayed from February 21st of 2020 to May 29th. It's a three-month delay. Um, and then just like an hour or two later, Ubisoft comes in and drops the news that they're delaying not one, not two, but three of their AAA games, uh, Watch Dogs Legion, Gods and Monsters, and Rainbow Six Quarantine. And they're revising their whole financial guidance for the year. It's like the numbers are kind of like wild and the difference between them um, because of that. And Ghost Recon Breakpoint didn't do very well. Um, but those three games are all getting pushed from a release date that would have been before the end of March 2020 to sometime in the window between July and December of next year. So that's potentially like a really big delay too. What do we think is going on with all this? I look at this and I, I, I the the thing that strikes me as, as funny about it is is just we've spent the last, you know, since E3 basically saying, oh my gosh, everyone's trying to avoid the holiday crush. So they're all packing into like Q1 of 2020. And now we're finally getting up to, to Q1. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, are all these companies looking at, man, Q1's pretty packed. Maybe we could just let our game slide a little and then we'd get like that really nice open Q2 space. And so yeah, there's, just... there's, this, uh, there's this kind of goofy tweet that I saw going around yesterday that was something like all these companies were just sitting around waiting for the other ones to blink and then everybody blinked at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so, so now I, I also think part of this is the, the generation shift. Um, it's some of these... I expect like gods and monsters for sure. Um, but I, I expect some of these games to, to magically become simultaneous launches on the, on the next gen platforms, not last of us. Um, yeah, that's last of us is kind of weird. Cause Sony's basically only got that and ghost of Tsushima left as far as exclusives for the PS4. Right. So I mean, they they got PS5 coming next year, and they kind of got to space it out a bit. I don't think it's going to be that that difficult to find uncrowded uh, windows for them, though. I do think <sighs> the the Last of Us Part Two. I mean, I can see that. I I've, if you read the statements, they all kind of both the Ubisoft one and the Sony one kind of imply, or the Naughty Dog one kind of imply that. There, there there, were just some things they needed to work out and they could have... It's interesting to see the trend now that we're getting in these game delay announcements where they're actually kind of sliding in things that say, we could have stressed the heck out about this, basically implying that they would have had to crunch, or we could not crunch as much and, you know, delay the game. Okay. Uh, I, I, know, I know you have I very put... particular opinions about that, Brendan, but I do think it's interesting that we're starting to see them outright say that because I don't feel like they like companies did that even like a couple of years back. Yeah. They're recognizing that there's a marketing bonus to it, but just from, from some of the people that I've known in the industry uh, and then from, you can, you can trace it back in some of our coverage here. A lot of the times when they say, Oh, we're just pushing it back a few months for additional polish. That doesn't mean like everyone's just working a nine to five and then going home for six months instead of working 80 hour weeks for three months. A lot of times it just means that the crunch that they've been on for the last six months anyways just got extended another three to six months. And that is 
not good. <laughs> I mean, the the company can kind of frame it as if it's like, oh, well, yeah, we're we're going to be doing eighty hour work weeks now instead of a hundred hour work weeks to get this thing out the door, and that's better, right? Um, but yeah, like a lot. It's nice that they're at least paying lip service to the idea yeah. of we're not grinding our people into the into the ground. What needs right. to happen though is that when these companies are really just extending crunch by an extra three to six months with these delays, like I I think the actual people on the ground that are being impacted by this uh, actually kind of speaking up about that hypocrisy would be helpful. Because like Naughty Dog has it has a, a bad reputation for crunch. I, I don't yeah, know if this do. is like super current, but it was just a few years ago when Amy Hennig was saying um, like she worked there for over a decade, never did less than 80 hours of work a week. Like whether game was crunching or not, it's just like that was kind of the baseline. And she said Naughty Dog was notorious for crunch, just like in general, not just the senior management there. And that is... That's horrible. That is way too much. So, so when you look at Naughty Dog now saying this, this is not up to our standards. We need three more months. I, I am skeptical as to just how much of a uh, relaxing break that is for their staff. Also, the thing that kind of baffles me about Last of Us Two is that they only announced the launch date like what in September? Yeah, really recently. And then they've a month after announcing it, they pushed it back. That just seems. I don't know, it just seems kind of to come out of nowhere, really. You know, they clearly had a, 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 a date in mind until very, very recently. You know, they did all their promotions and stuff. And then a month later, it's all just out the door. I wonder, though, if these, um, if kind of moving it into the May launch window is going to have much of an effect on sales. Because one thing that really frustrates me a lot about the games industry is like, you get a lot of games releasing in very packed sort of periods of time and it can be very difficult to find like sort of time to play a lot of them so i do appreciate something coming out in may i mean when does it when do big budget games come out in may it seems like quite an unusual like it's outside of the typical launch window so i i, I kind of welcome the move as far as it is potentially game publishers just spreading out across the year a little bit rather than just jam-packing their games into sort of key periods throughout the year that just become really overcrowded. Yeah, but you know what happens, right? So a couple of years ago, you know, everything was releasing in the fall or over the holiday, and then all of a sudden people started pushing their games into Q1, into like February and March, and we had a we had like that one year where like Breath of the Wild and Near and Horizon and like everything came out in February. And so there was the joke that February and March were the new like fall of video game releases. <laughs> so if The Last of Us is moving to May, then that means everything else is going to start moving to May too. And May, May is going to be the new like Black Friday holiday season of video game releases. Just trapped in this pointless, endless <laughs> cycle of fighting for space that doesn't exist. <laughs> even even the fall wasn't always as as busy as it as it is now. Like BioShock and Borderlands if I remember right were kind of like forward thinking and these like surprise early pre-holiday hits that that then you know did well throughout the holidays um if i I think rockstar haven't they done the may window or tried to do the may window maybe delayed out of it but grand theft auto other other developers moving away from whenever a rockstar game is being published true i i feel like (laughs) we're we're using basically the entire calendar now 
except for maybe <laughs> the summer know. the summer is yeah. always really thin june yeah. june and july don't seem to get as much love but I do think I do think the the kind of interesting thing here too with Ubisoft. I know I know Brennan suggested that they were just trying to get away from other titles, but I don't think that explanation works for Ubisoft because they moved three whole games. They moved them into a really wide like we don't. They said Q two or Q three of the 2020 2021 fiscal year so this again like july through december of next year and they they their financial guidance for the year was just thrown all the way off and i i mean we don't need to get into that whole investor call but i listened to it yesterday uh they're not happy <laughs> um there were some very pointed questions leveled at yves guillermo yesterday and i i mean i know he's like the ceo of ubisoft i felt i felt a little bit bad for the guy <laughs> like so, some of them were just really really sharp kind of like what are you doing questions and it was, it was very interesting it was super interesting to listen to but like i i really want to know so so ubisoft is i want to know what's going on at ubisoft with their development stuff right now because we've got these three games that have gotten pushed into next year um ghost recon breakpoint is not being critically well received the division two seems to be going like maybe okay um but then we have skull and bones which we also found out Th this game is, i think has been announced i know at least since 2018 but i think it was announced in 2017 uh this game is has been moved all the way into 2021-2022 fiscal year. So we're not seeing Skull and Bones for like a year and a half or more. Um, Beyond Good and Evil 2 is somewhere in the ether. We have no idea what's going on with this game. Um, what? Ubisoft? Hello? Are you okay? <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm convinced that Beyond Good and Beyond Good and Evil 2 is just a practical joke and will never be released. Um, and, they're, and they're just stringing people along, just getting lots of attention, and it will just never come out. And a bit like, like Half-Life 3, I guess. They'll be like, ooh, it's coming out soon, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, Ubisoft is, Ubisoft is a weird one, because they've really... They've got their very sort of typically Ubisoft games with their big sandboxes, and they're all quite functionally quite similar. I can I can understand where you're coming. I mean, th they are distinct games, but they're they're li I think they're live games. And this was something that came up in the call multiple times. They were talking about their live games, their ongoing like long term revenue streams. Um, those do tend to have similar elements because because there's a formula that works in this industry, right? For live games, and Ubisoft has I think fairly successfully. It seems with um, I know like Rainbow Six Siege um, and the original Division. I think um, they've tapped into that. Yeah, I think they probably defined it more than any other AAA publisher perhaps um, like they really set the framework for what kind of like live service big open games kind of look like and they've really they've really run with it and I think a lot of publishers are probably taking notes from Ubisoft at the moment maybe not so much on the delaying multiple games but kind of everywhere else I do think that one of the interesting points that came, and this is like maybe getting a little far off the delay discussion, but one of the interesting points that came up about Ghost Recon Breakpoint during the investor call and also in Ubisoft's statement about the financial uh, change is that uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, so that's that's coming after uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands. And Ghost Recon Wildlands um, kind of had like maybe not a fantastic launch, but Ubisoft actually, they really picked it up and Wildlands was fairly successful as like a live game. Um, and uh, Guillermo and some of the other like, some of the other folks were talking about the challenges of releasing a new game 
that a new a new live game that's a sequel to an existing live game and have like having what's what's the right amount of distance from the original from the release of that previous live game and how different do you need to make it because if you make the game too similar then people and you don't have enough like meaningful upgrades then people aren't going to be interested i think that sort of flies in the face of what sports games have been doing for years but i this is not a sports game and so i could see why people might look at breakpoint and think wow this is not that big of a leap from wildlands why are we even bothering as as far as their like release slate, I I think it's it's really astonishing that this hasn't happened before now to to Ubisoft. I think like oh Brendan, they've they've delayed. They have delayed a lot of their games. That but if you look at if you look at their output for the last twelve years or so, Assassin's Creed has only been around like a decade, but. They have they have made open world games in how many completely distinct settings in that time? Like like it's it's incredible the the way that they just churn these things out. And you can say like part of that might be a little bit easier when you have a formula, but you're still kind of having to to recreate these completely different worlds and settings and and it it's it, it's just I'm a little I'm a little shocked that that we haven't had an, a number of them line up quite in this way before. I think I think there was one other time when they they bumped a few like uh, the crew or the crew two. I and... just want to shout out to the guy on the investor call who asked who who didn't ask didn't necessarily ask the question but pointed out to Guillermo that. Ubisoft has I mean you're you're right that they haven't done it quite on this level before but he pointed out that about every four years they have kind of a reset where they delay a couple games and sort of like readjust their financials in the similar way and I I haven't gone back to like confirm like specifically what he's talking about but he was like you do this every four years you did this in 2014 you did this in 2010 you did this in 2006 I could go further back and I I just thought that was sort of sort of a cheeky like you keep doing I mean, this. What's going on? Well, and he asked, he asked too if it has to do with like console launch cycles. So it was like, I mean, it was a meaningful. It makes sense to me. But. I mean, like, you've, how many people make open world games on the scale or the frequency that Ubisoft does? How many even try? Like, basically, no one. <laughs> Rockstar does one a generation now. I mean, without wanting to sound too unkind to Ubisoft, they're not particularly innovative anymore really i can't i don't know the last time there was a ubisoft game that came out and I went hot damn you really mixed things up here guys you're really like blazing a trail of innovation and new thinking it's like cool it's another ubisoft sandbox but this time it's in the sea or it's in <laughs> egypt or it's in london but it's all like functionally and kind of they all just feel just so like similar and i guess that's how you say brandon they've got a formula and so it's quite easy for them to kind of spit stuff out and i wonder if maybe the delays are and this is me being very optimistic if these delays are kind of coming about because maybe they are trying to innovate a little bit more and that's creating problems with their very well established well-defined formula yeah Yeah, i I think gods and monsters um when we we haven't seen a lot of that game but whatever that game is going to be it doesn't look like any of the other ubisoft games yeah, that was that was always weird. I think they mm. that seemed to be like a, a red flag. This looks like they announced it too early, kind of thing. Oh, one hundred percent. Like when it's that's your like oh, and one more thing on your on your conference, and people are kind of like they walk away from it saying, "I'm okay. What what is that? Why am I supposed to be excited by it?" Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of cautiously 
excited for Gods and Monsters because it looks a bit different, and I haven't been excited for like a Ubisoft game since the sequel to Assassin's Creed 2, and that was a disappointment. So, not Assassin's Creed 2, sorry, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, is it? The one that came after that. I was like, oh, oh, okay, I see what you're doing, guys. So, I'm... I kind of I want to like Gods and Monsters because it looks a little bit different, a little bit interesting. But I I fear it will probably just fall into that very tried and tested Ubisoft framework. Yeah, uh, Skull and Bones is another that I'm like kind of concerned about at this point. So it's the first game from Ubisoft <laughs> Singapore as lead developer, right? And they've had they've been working on this for a few years. I think I think the roots of it are basically back to like Assassin's Creed Black Flags. One hundred percent. I played this at E3 2018, and when I played it, then it it literally just felt like the boat parts from Black Flag. That was it. <laughs> yeah, and that was twenty thirteen that came out. So like, uh, yeah, I'm sure. This has kind of been percolating, I think, for almost six years now, and then they they keep pushing it back and. F- from just from the outside, it kind of looks like it would be a, a sea of thieves situation, right? Like that's sort yeah. of the template. Everyone working together to be on a boat. Be a pirate. <laughs> there, Didn't its creative that. director leave last year too? Oh, might have. I, I wouldn't be surprised that, given this. I think that's true, or some something. A sentence that sounds like that is true. So Ubisoft is <laughs> is getting really comfortable with with games as a service, live service games that launch and then they kind of have to do the work to salvage them or to, to make them, you know, maximize their potential. Rainbow Six Siege, For Honor, things like that. So, like, that rough launch isn't the biggest deterrent for them. And then you can look at Sea of Thieves, which itself had a rough launch, and really see how the path Rare took there to, to improving that game, at the very least with, with uh, you know, the player opinion of it. I'm not sure financially how well it's done, but... and. Even with those two kind of things there, the the roadmap of we've done this before with other games and someone did this before with a very similar game, that they still don't think that they are ready for even that rough launch until not next fiscal year, but the fiscal year after that. That's concerning to me. Yeah, it's pretty. It feels like at some point, especially with the whole thing with I did, I did the creative director left recently. Um, I, it definitely feels like that game got rebooted somewhere along the line and i i think it probably needed it because honestly just the like the boat parts of black flag were great but they were great because they were part of this other game and they worked well i don't just want to play a game that's only the boat parts of black flag and i would i would really like to see it succeed because i i think i feel i feel so bad for all the ubisoft studios that are just like support studios and people are like, oh, you work for Ubisoft middle of nowhere? And it's like, I worked on all these great games that you love. And it's like, yeah, but that's an Ubisoft Montreal title. I, that's really bad. We know that. So it, it's the, 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 everyone working throughout that system needs, they need their own stuff, I think. Well, speaking of things happening in Montreal, in my incredibly brilliant segue, uh, we had some news about... A studio happening in Montreal, coupled with a very interesting interview that Brendan is going to tell us about. Let's talk Google Stadia. So interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I I had the chance to speak with Jade Raymond uh, a little bit about the Stadia exclusive content plan. Because she is sort of responsible for for putting that together for Stadia Games and Entertainment. 
And part of it, uh, why, why she spoke with us this week was um, because they just announced that the first of multiple uh, internal studios is setting up in Montreal, which is not terribly surprising given, given Raymond's, you know, attachments to Montreal, having grown up there and then Ubisoft and, and EA. Um, and also Montreal just being like crazy development hub. Um, and she talked about, she talked about the, the games that, that, that the new technology and stadia will make. And it's not just like, Oh, well with the power of the cloud, we can do this, that, and, and the other, it's also a big focus for them is like with integrating other Google non-gaming technology, we can do this, that, and the other. So she talked about the, the Google duplex, uh, virtual assistant which they, they demoed a year or two ago showing this virtual assistant calling up a salon and making an appointment for a haircut with, with an actual human being on the other end who doesn't really know that this is a virtual assistant because the virtual assistant is kind of saying like, um, can I get a, can I get an appointment for 10 AM? And, and just sort of like trying to mimic the little idiosyncrasies of human conversation. And it doesn't, doesn't quite work but it's it's close enough and she wanted to do things like oh well what if we put that in a role-playing game and all the ai conversations instead of giving you the same static line about your quest time and time again it it just sort of you know makes stuff up on the fly that sounds kind of natural and and that was cool but she also talked about the the power of the cloud and and how it can achieve things like um, the example she used was Jurassic Park Trespasser, which... Um, what a weird name drop, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so that was a late 90s DreamWorks interactive game, and the big thing there was physics simulation. Everything was physics simulated, and, you know, like the the... the the sound that you would hear was supposed to be like some kind of simulation of the actual materials and, and weights of everything. And, and it was like the game itself was a mess when it came out. No one liked it. If you look at, if you look at footage of it on YouTube, it is, it is completely weird and awkward looking. Um, it's legacy page on Wikipedia talks about how Octodad and surgeon simulator were like, <laughs> yes, we, they had the control scheme that we want. <laughs> Which, is it the whole point of Octodad that it's supposed to be really hard to control? Yes. <laughs> uh, so it, it was like hugely ambitious, but it just wasn't actually fun once you got into the middle of that sandbox world. And it, I mean, like maybe you'd play around with like, oh, wow, these these barrels fall down realistically and, you know, cardboard boxes flop around and a lot of that kind of ragdolly sort of stuff that that we might take for granted now um but yeah it was it was just it was tech and it was impressive but it wasn't actually fun and i was i was walked away from that that interview just really worried that that's kind of what stadia is going to be and what the power of the cloud will wind up being right now in this generation anyways because all the developers and people that i talked to are like wouldn't it be amazing if we could do this that and the other thing and it's like, okay, well, being in the middle of a, a, a battle with a thousand, you know, 
soldiers that are either controlled by other people or controlled by advanced AI. Like that's an experience I haven't had before, but there's nothing about that that instantly tells me, wow, that's a fun experience. So it's just, it just sounds a bit like uh, quite familiar to the conversation we were having around Improbable like a few months ago, um, where it's like, it can do all of these amazing things theoretically, and uh, pretty much everyone on the team's reaction was like, does it need to do those things? Do we want it to do those things? Do those things improve the experience in any way, or are they just like a, a marvel of modern technology that doesn't really add much? I mean, I'm looking at this, um, I'm just actually looking at some Jurassic Park trespasser footage now, Brendan, and like, I mean, it's horrifying for starters. And yeah, I guess the, <laughs> physics, I guess, I guess the physics are kind of impressive, but yeah, it's, it, really, it really kind of backs up your point of like, it, it might be impressive, but is it good? No, it looks awful. And I do have a lot of reservations about some of like the, uh, some of the high high promises that are made with like Google and the tech, because I'm sure they can make some very good AI, but I'm not convinced that's going to be more convincing than just well-written dialogue, because once you start falling into like uncanny valley territory, the whole thing just falls apart at the seams. I do, I do push back a little bit on that because I, I think that there's maybe a difference between what we were talking about with Improbable where the idea was just we're going to add more guys more enemies like just so many enemies or so many people in a battle royale <laughs> and we're all like what's the point of that I think I can I can conceive of a hypothetical situation where I'm playing like an RPG of some kind and there's really interesting AI interactions I think for that to work it would need the kind of the fundamental ideas behind having what what does it mean to have a story in a game and what does it mean to have an interaction with a character in a game would need to be re-examined and you would need to have a really strong team um, with some really good ideas working on that because you're right that you know part of the re the reason why we we play RPGs and games that have those kinds of interactions is you know more frequently that they have a really interesting story and some really good writing behind them and less frequently because we think we can mess with the dialogue of the NPCs in the ways that we do with maybe like our Google home or our Alexa, <laughs> like just to like sort of change it up constantly. And I, so I, I don't know, but I, I think, I think you're kind of hitting on a, on a good point here that this is something that uh, Rob came, came in with this column this week too, kind of saying that, yeah, a bunch of investors seem to be convinced and there seems to be a contingent of publishers and developers who are convinced that Stadia is a really good idea, but Google really has yet to sell the public at large on this being a good idea, like the gaming public and just, just their audience in general. And I, I, I keep waiting for some interview to come out that shows what they're actually doing that sold all these people on the fact that this is a good idea because I just, I just haven't quite gotten there yet. Well, for mm. publishers, I think it's just there's such a small cost to them in putting their games on Stadia since they will sell them for full price there anyways. Um, yeah, so that's it, true. And and Gwen uh, Gwen Frey or Fry, I, I don't know how it's said, but she said I did an interview with her about Kind too, and she gave some insight as to kind of the development perks as well. How when you're developing on Stadia, it's much easier, especially for indie developers, to do so remotely because you just send people a link to the build you're working on, and they can click it and work in the build, as opposed to like having to have you know dev kits and things like that sent around. And so I, I I do see the perks on that end, but in terms of like why everyone thinks this technology is just going to be the most amazing thing in the world, I, I I'm not I'm interested to find out why but i'm not sold on it yet the, there's also an issue of timing here uh because stadia launches <clears> next <throat> month they've just announced their first internal studio 
And if they're aspiring to do the sort of like AAA games that are essentially platform sellers, uh, those, those take a very long time to make. So if you give them four years or so to, to do something, four or five years, which seems reasonable considering they're going to want to do something that shows off the difference of Stadia versus a normal PC or console, um, Stadia could be already a success or already a horrible failure by then. Like Google has pulled the plug on that Daydream VR headset already. That was only a few years. So are they are they in this for for the long haul? Will they still be as interested in in Stadia and cloud computing uh, for games by the time the Stadia Montreal studio is is really ready to show off what it's doing? And and the thing is, like, should they have started this earlier? You start this this development three or four years ago. Like, do they know three or four years ago that the Stadia technology will be, you know, solid enough to actually justify this or compelling enough to to really do it? And and investing in a AAA studio before you've even got like, you know, an inkling as as to whether or not the the technology is mature enough to make this a valid business case. That doesn't make much sense either. So it's it's a difficult timing situation for them, I think. Also, we've, we've kind of seen what happens when like other tech giants that aren't traditionally in the business of making games try and get into the business of making games. I mean, Amazon Game Studios has been... I mean, I don't, I don't have anything particularly sort of kind to say about it, so I won't. But it hasn't been probably the success that I'm sure Amazon hoped that it would be. Like, they've pulled projects, they've had people leave. It's been, you know, like... Amazon, they, they would have looked at that and be like, yeah, games. We've got all the money. We can make the games. This is a surefire bet and a big industry. So I, I'm a little bit kind of skeptical about how Google will actually perform on like the development side of things. But I'm reasonably confident that like the Stadia tech will work and will be good. Um, how To what extent it will be adopted and everything like that is, is another like question entirely. And I'm still waiting to kind of see, I, I'm still that optimist that thinks that Microsoft is going to come around at some point when they when they finally drop their xCloud stuff publicly. I, I just, I really have this suspicion. I have absolutely no basis for thinking this, like, like, like concrete basis, like I haven't heard anything, but I... I suspect that they're going to find some way to tie how xCloud is is paid for or or opted into into Game Pass. And even even at a limited level, if there's if there's some model that they come up with that involves getting games along with the cloud service, I just I think they are going to end up being head and shoulders above Google just on the basis of not having to pay full price for the games that you're streaming because I just I think I think that their model, their pricing model Google Stadia's on its face is just really unappealing to a lot of people, and I I think that's going I think that's already hurting it in terms of like marketing and PR. I think that's going to hurt it out of the gate, and I I don't I don't know how many people are going to be willing to jump into that, even if we find out that the Google Stadia is actually really amazing. I think it makes more sense for an established platform holder to do this too, because the timing issue isn't so much a problem when you have a, a normal games business there to 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 carry the the water for you while the the streaming stuff ramps up like PlayStation with PlayStation Now that's years old and you know Sony could could push it further if if they want 
Um, but it's, you know, it's there and it hasn't needed to justify the, the company's entire push into gaming the entire time, the way that, that Stadia kind of has to. That is probably the end of the Stadia discussion for now. I'm sure we'll be back in a month when that is out and in the wild. Uh, but you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms. Uh, once you're on that good podcasting platform, consider subscribing. So it'll let you know whenever another episode appears. And you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. <laughs> <laughs>